Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. I want to... I want to introduce and just express gratitude for my friend Tommy, who has agreed to come speak, because I just came back from 10 days away and was not ready to share God's word with you, and he is more than ready. I've known Tommy for at least 20 years. Mm -hmm. We knew each other first when uh, we were much younger men, and he was leading a ministry at the Chinese Christian Union Church down in the city in Chinatown, and I came to speak, and we just had a chemistry I think he just liked me very much, and I appreciated that. And so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We, we really love each other. Yeah. And, as I, and he, Tommy serves as the head of a ministry called Resource Global. And I've had a, a, the privilege of serving on the board of that ministry uh, for a, a time and for traveling with them and seeing what they're doing. They have a beautiful vision of raising up communities of emerging leaders in nations where Christianity is not really the dominant religion, but where there is a vision for the kingdom and he's raising up people who love Jesus and are getting a fresh vision for how to steward their influence and power in their society. And that really excites me. The one thing I'll say before I give the mic over to Tommy is I've learned one thing consistently from you, Tommy. And that is every time I've ever been with you, you've always said at least three times, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. I've never, ever met anyone who so consistently and frequently offers to serve me, uh, and not the other way. And I just, I'm so blessed, and I'm reminded I need to be more like you in that way, and it really blesses me. So, Tommy, I just want to hand it over to you. Appreciate it. Let's welcome him with applause. Thank you, everyone. Good morning. It is an honor to be with you for the very first time this morning. Uh, before I do, I, uh, you know, Dave, thank you very much. Thank you for the honor. And I want to apologize two things. Number one is the bulletin. I accidentally emailed the wrong passage in the wrong title. So number one, I apologize for that, Jen. I am so sorry. I looked at it. I said, oh, darn it. I forgot. I emailed the wrong thing. So we are asking you to look at the story of Gideon in Judges chapter six. And so we're going to go into the Old Testament. So that's number one. Number two, you're going to find out I'm going to drink a lot of water. And so I apologize for that. Last year, I had cancer in my sinus and my throat, and that eliminated all of my taste buds and all of my saliva. And so I'm still, after 42 years, you're used to one body, you're used to how operate, how to operate with one body, and everything's changed. I lost 82 pounds in one in a matter of eight weeks, and with that, lost all my saliva. And so I'm still trying to learn how to do life without it and everything like that. So uh, give me a little patience as I work through all these different things. Hey, but we're going to look at, I'm going to dig over to Judges chapter 6, and we're going to dive in right away. Judges chapter 6, all right? And I, I am going to be uh, dealing with Judges chapter 6. And we're actually going to start all the way in verse, actually, I'm going to go one verse before that in verse 31. Chapter 5, verse 31 ends with this. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And Judges chapter 5 ends, and the land had rest for 40 years. 
verse 1, chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. That is going to be a theme in Judges that you see over and over again. The people did whatever they want. God rescued them through Moses. They came from to the promised land through Joshua. And now from that point on, those guys did whatever they want. And so the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land. It is such a strong word, devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents and they would come like locusts in number. I love that description, locusts. When we think about locusts, we, we see just terror just coming and overriding. And locusts in numbers, both they and their camels could not be counted. And so that they laid waste to the plan as they come in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel's sight cried out for help to the Lord. You know, it's uh, last weekend, I was sitting in my house. I live right in Bridgeport. I'm not sure if you guys ever uh, been to Bridgeport. It's literally right by Chinatown. And I am one of three homes in the cul-de-sac. And right next door is the parking lot for the Chicago White Sox. For the most part, it's usually quiet. The White Sox does not draw a lot of people. And so for 9,000 people, it's usually pretty quiet. This weekend's busy with the Cubs coming in, so there's 40,000 people. But at 8 a.m., suddenly I hear all of these motorcycles, all right? Next thing you know, from a matter of 8 a.m. all the way to 4 o'clock p.m., there are 2,000 motorcyclists all on my block and in the parking lot right next door. Non-stop noise from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. I've never seen that in my life. And I walked out there, what in the world is going on? It got to the point, the alderman of our war comes in and he knocks at our door and I open it and he says, do you know what's going on here? I have no idea. I thought you would know what's going on here. And it was just crazy. And they just came. And to the point you're sitting there, what is this? They're just terrorizing the entire place. There's trash everywhere. And to a degree, I feel like this is something that's happening over here. The Israelites are doing whatever they want. And they plant all their crops. And they just know. Come harvest time, they're going to have to harvest as fast as they possibly can. Because those guys are coming. The Midianites are coming. The Amalekites are coming. All these guys are coming. And they all want one thing. They want their food. Because they're sitting there. They're planting their crops and food. So I know when the harvest time is coming, so I'm going to come and grab all their food. And so thank you very much. I appreciate that. And so as a result, that's where they are. You, you ever feel that terror? I, I remember growing up uh, in Bridgeport. I was in, back in 82 when I first moved in Bridgeport. It was predominantly Caucasian, Italian, 
and Polish and everything like that. And I was probably one of my only a couple of Chinese people living in that neighborhood. Now, if you actually go to Bridgeport now, it's about 85% Asian, primarily Chinese. And so a lot of times I still remember my brother and my sister would always walk from our school to our home. And we were in the fourth grade. And there was this eighth grade bully that would just pick on us all the time. And that eighth grader would just wait for us all the time at every single corner. And you're scared of this for a fourth grade Asian guy who's kind of, well, I was kind of overweight, but still, I was still there, but he was a lot bigger than me. I would find every corner to go in, try to avoid him. But every day for over half of a year, he was there waiting for me. And every corner you taught at 3 o'clock, he was just right there, ready to pick on you. And for them, the Israelites were sitting there. How in the world am I going to get away from that? We're planning all this stuff. We're barely surviving. And I love what it says. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. They did whatever they want. It got to the point where it became so bad and it became so desperate that they finally said, Lord, I need your help. I, look, I just need your help right now. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hands of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat on the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joaz the Bizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress. Very, very important. Key that, note that, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. If you were in the NIV, you would probably said, The Lord is with you mighty warrior. If you have your pen or if you're underlining your book or if you have a highlight that, the Lord is with you. Almighty man of valor, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Why is that so important? If you understand now, historical context is so very important. I never really understood it. Sometimes I'll kind of read these stories. And, but I spent about three weeks in Israel and Jordan. I began to understand the context of this is in. And so a lot of times, what happens when you thresh wheat? When wheat is ready for harvest time, from that point on, you start pulling out all the wheat. Or you take a sickle, which is a small little knife, and you start cutting all the wheat. And you bring all of that wheat onto what they call a threshing floor. Now, the threshing floor is usually on the elevated area in the open space, like a little tiny little hill in the open space. You lay out all of that wheat right there in an open area on the threshing floor, right? From that point on, you take a little tool, like a little hammer called a flail, or you take oxen. You lay out everything, and you have the oxen kind of step all over there, or you take the flail and you start banging on the wheat. That eventually separates your straw and also your grain right there, all right? And then from that point on, you lay everything right there, and you take one of those big-looking uh, rakes or winnowing forks, as they call it. 
And then you've probably seen pictures of that. From that point on, they take this winnowing fork, and they take the grain, and they lift it up as high as they can, and lift it up in the air. The straw, which is lighter, lays on one end and falls on one end. The grain, which is heavier, falls on the earth. So now you separate it. There are now seed coverings or chaff that just gets blown out, and that's why you need an open area. And so all the air and all of the currents, wind starts blowing off the chaff and everything like that. So that's how you do that during harvest time with wheat. Now, what is Gideon doing? He's threshing wheat in where? A wine press. You guys ever seen a wine press? I've never seen a wine press, so I went that. So yeah, wine press. Until I got to the Garden of Gethsemane. No, not the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the uh, site where they uh, built, they buried Jesus, right? And so there is this right there, the burial site of Jesus, right there, the tomb, the garden tomb, is a wine press. You know what wine press is? It's a rectangular hole in the ground, rectangular size. And that's when they lay out all of the grapes in this hole, right? And then from that point on, there's a little contraption right over this rectangular hole. And if you guys picture it with me, there's this little thing where this guy holds it or an individual holds onto a rope with this contraption with all of these grapes. And he starts stepping on all of the grapes and starts mushing it over and over and over again. From that point on, within the rectangular goal, there is another area that leads to all these jars and cisterns. And so as you mush on all of these grapes, it eventually the juice leads into these cistern jars. And that's how you press grapes into wine. And so now, what is Gideon doing? He's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's threshing wheat in an enclosed area when you should be threshing wheat in the open area. What was he doing? What was the motivation? He was scared. He was afraid. I am going to go to a place where no one sees me and lay out all my wheat, and I'm going to try to thresh my wheat in here. Will it work? I have no idea if it's going to work. Probably not. But he didn't want to see those guys. He's afraid. But what does the angel of the Lord says to him? He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, mighty warrior. Lord, hey, are you seeing this? I am not seeing a man of valor. I'm not seeing a mighty warrior. I am seeing a coward. I'm seeing a guy who's scared. He's not threshing wheat in a wine. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, not on the threshing floor. So, Lord, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Because I see in here a coward. I see someone who's scared. And you are calling him a man of valor? The Lord's picture of us is different than the picture we see of ourselves. Our picture of us and how we see other people may be different than how God sees us. And for Gideon, he sees a man of valor. For all of us in our own eyes, and even probably with Gideon himself, he sees a guy who's coward and I'm scared and everything like that. Lord has a picture of who we are and what we should be, and he sees us in a much different light than even sometimes how we see ourselves versus how others sees us. 
And so too often, a lot of times, we've got to look at things with the Lord's eyes and God's eyes of how he sees us. And for God's picture of us, it's much different than the picture we have of ourselves. And that is point number one. What is the picture that God sees in you? And how can we begin to look at the lives of other people and look at lives not with our eyes and not with the world's judgments, but with what God is seeing in us? And for him, it's a man of valor. We see something else. How do we begin to really look at it with God's point's eye? Let's keep going on. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Read this. Note this. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Let's stop there and look at this. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the weakest in my father's house. What's he trying to say? He's Pretty much he says, hey, look, um, Gideon's telling the angel of the Lord, he says, I don't think you understand. There's a reason why I'm kind of threshing my wheat in a wine press. Understand that of all the clans around here, my clan's the weakest, all right? So of all the clans, it's dead last. And you know where I stand? I am the weakest in my clan. So you know where I'm at, Lord? Dead last. My clan of all the clans is the weakest. Out of all the weakest clan, I'm the weakest in that clan. Where in the world does that put me? Dead last. Look at what the Lord says. Never disagrees with it, right? Never in the word do you see this there where the angel Lord says, hey, hey, wait, 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 no, no, you got it wrong. Well, you're really not the weakest. There's a couple other guys who are weaker, all right? Never says that. Never says that. He says to him, yeah, sure, I know that. I know that. I know you're the weakest. I know your clan's the weakest. I know a lot of times you're probably the weakest there. I know that. There are times when in our lives, a lot of times, we come before the Lord and says, Lord, I am not the smartest. You know what God says? Yeah, I kind of know that. <laughs> not the most experienced, Lord. Yeah, I'm not the most athletic. I'm not the most talented. I'm not the best singer. Yeah, I kind of know that. I created you. I made you into the person you are. You forgot that I know your strengths, but also I know your weaknesses. And so it is not about that, because it's not about you and it's not about me. And so for Gideon, I totally understand you're the weakest. I totally understand that you can't do what you can do. But he says this, and he says, look, but I will be with you. And you will strike the Midianites as one man. And that becomes the encouragement that we have. It is not about you and what you can do. But it is through you that throughout all what you call, I call you do and the journey that you have, I will be there with you. Now, will it be easy? Probably not. 
Will there be rough times along the way? There probably will. But whatever journey God has called you to be, whatever it is, I will be with you. Not that it's going to be easy, not that it's going to be hard and everything like that. Oh, wait, but Lord, I don't know how to do this. I know. I'm not very good at this. I know. I'm not very smart at this. I know. I don't know all this. I know, I know, I know. But I will be with you. As Dave mentioned, it is a lot of times I spend a lot of times, for the last nine years, I started this organization called Resource Global. And so that means I spend a lot of time in Asia, especially Southeast Asia in Nairobi, Kenya. And so I go about two or three times a year over to Southeast Asia, about two or three times in Nairobi. And the whole vision of Resource Global that I started was this whole idea that found in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. What is it that God wants to take us from Jerusalem to Samaria to all the ends of the earth? So we come alongside business leaders like many of you guys, marketplace leaders in those countries to help and disciple and come alongside with them to help them understand what God is calling them to do for their city based upon the skills that they have. And these are young marketplace leaders in their mid-20s to 30s and help them understand what their calling is to really renew their cities. Let me give you an example. Jakarta, Indonesia. Have, has anyone ever been to Jakarta, Indonesia? Probably not a lot of people. Dave and I have been to Jakarta, Indonesia. When I first went to Jakarta, Indonesia in four years ago, I had no idea. I'm sitting there, so what is, is it Micronesia? Is it a small third world country? Zero clue, all right? It is the fourth biggest country in all of the world in terms of population. Biggest in terms of population of the Muslim population. Did you know Indonesia has 17,000 islands? Jakarta alone is per capita one of the wealthiest countries in all of the world. Some of you guys are nodding because you've watched Crazy Rich Asians, so you understand what I mean. And so per capita is one of the wealthiest countries in all of the world is 10.65 million. Did you know there are 635 shopping malls in Jakarta alone geared toward who? The Chinese Indonesians who make up 20% of the population but 80% of the economy. And they're just not like any shopping malls, all right? Woodfield Mall is probably the worst type of shopping mall if I was to place it in Jakarta. They're about eight floors high. There are car dealerships, Maserati dealerships, Audi, BMW, anything galore, grocery shops, movie theaters, everything. It is crazy. There's 635 of these. There are more Maseratis winging by me and everything like that that I've ever seen before. And so a lot of times the group that we work with are Chinese Indonesians that come from affluent families, but yet at the same time have studied here at Stanford, Harvard, MIT, University of Michigan, University of Illinois, WashU, whatever it is, and now have gone back. And our goal for many of those guys is to, God has placed you in a unique role Many of you guys are working at startup companies. Many of you guys are working in family businesses. Many of you guys are doing all this stuff. How do you begin to utilize your skills and your passion through a gospel grid to make a difference in your city that is overrun with bribery, corruption, prosperity gospel, not helping the poor because a lot of times the Chinese, many churches believe that they should not be helping the poor. You know why? 
because God has not blessed the poor. God has blessed the people who are rich, and that's why they're rich. And as a result, they're poor because God has ordained them to be poor. And so why in the world am I helping those who are not wealthy? That's what they believe. That's just their mindset. And so our role is to come alongside those marketplace leaders and as Christians to challenge them in their disciple journey, how do you utilize your job? Because you'll never be a pastor. That is not your calling. But how do you utilize the gospel and everything like that to renew your city and the presence of your leadership is to, to really be able to take those skills and apply it in the problems of your city through a gospel grid. And so I spend a lot of time, for instance, there's this one girl, her name is Marissa. Marissa is 27 years old, graduated from Columbia University and worked at Goldman Sachs for about two years. After that, then, from that point on, we now have her going into, uh, she went to work for her family's business. She is now the CEO of her family's business. Now, when you think of Indonesia, it says, what kind of CEO of her family's business she, does she do? Her company provides all of the textiles and clothing for Old Navy and Gap. She is 27 years old. She has four factories and 28,000 employees that she oversees. And we help her. And one of the conversations that I have with Marissa all the time is, Marissa, you are in a unique position in your family's business to renew the cities. And one of the things that she keeps seeing is, Tommy, I'm 27 years old. What in the world can I do? I don't have a lot of experience. I don't have a lot of influence. Yes, you do. How do you begin to understand what God is doing with you and to really be able to use that to serve and change even the neighborhoods which your factories are in to lift those guys out of poverty to continue to evangelize them? So that's one. Another guy, Abraham. Love Abraham. 26 years old. Abraham's this guy who loves food. And if he were to come, he would be sitting there on Yelp chucking out all the best food places he has. Well, he had this passion, this idea. He says, Jakarta has a growing middle class that has never existed before. Now, for the very first time in its history in the last 20 years, there is now a middle class. And so there's no lending agency or bank for the middle class, only for the wealthy. What if I created a lending agency for the middle class? And so someone in Jakarta liked the idea and gave him a $10,000 investment. So, great. I met him four years ago. He had just closed on his second investment of $10 million. I just saw him last month. And he says, hey, Tommy, things are going well. I just closed my investment of $23 million. And now he is slated to have about 500 employees, and hopefully in the next two or three years, they'll get to 1,000. But one of the conversations I have, he says, Tommy, as a Christian... I don't have time to serve in my local church all the time because I'm so busy with work. What can I do to contribute to the kingdom? I think we all ask that sometimes is, well, we're not going to full-time ministry. We're not going to be a missionary. Well, we're not going to be a pastor like Pastor Dave. What can we do? And it's the same thing that God says to him. He says, look, I have a plan for each one of you. And for Abraham, it's, You can do a lot through your role as a business leader. You can do a lot to change the cities that you're at, to improve nonprofits or mercies or or be involved in churches along the way. And so for Gideon and for the guys in Indonesia and for all of our lives, what is God calling you to do? 
for your city, for your church, for your community, but also global. And so many of you guys are sitting there, well, I'm not sure about this. I don't think I have the talents. I am just an accountant. Just an accountant. You, you're an understanding of numbers can be taken to help nonprofits and ministries and churches and ministries all throughout different places. Well, but I'm just a dentist. I'm just a doctor. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I love to Look, let me just say this about stay-at-home moms, all right? My whole team at Resource Global and our companies is employed by stay-at-home moms. I love stay-at-home moms. They are some of the most competent talented, most wonderful people I know. And they, I employ them because they get things done. And they run my projects. They oversee my life. They manage projects. They, it is wonderful. Wherever you are in your life, whether it's a stay-at-home mom, I'm looking at some of the college students here. I have one person thinking, Ashley is thinking about going to U of I. And she's thinking about going to marketing. How in the world do you begin to take your skills and the passions that God has given to you? Boy, but I'm so young. doesn't matter. Because no matter how hard young you are, how old you are, God's going to work through you in your life. And he says, I will be with you. Well, let's go on. But, but, here's a warning. And let's go all the way to 23. All right, verse 23. We're going to skip all the way to verse 23 here. But the Lord, and later on, he calls them, and Gideon's on board, and everything like that. He's still a little hesitant. He's still definitely scared. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace to this day. It still stands at Oprah, which belongs at Bizarites. All right, here's the important verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. What is God trying to say to him? Give me one minute. There. Um. What is God trying to say to him? He says, hey, look. Totally on board with you, ready for you to serve, ready for me to use you. But here's one thing I need you to do, Gideon. I need you to tear down that pole that belongs to the altar and put the proper pole altar in its place. I need you to tear down the altar before I use you, before you go on your journey, before you're going to do wonderful things. I need you to tear down that altar and what? Build the proper altar in its place. And for some of us now in this day and age, we don't have an altar in our home and everything like that. But God is building an altar in where? In our own lives, in our hearts, in our own personal lives. And for some of us here this morning, God wants to use you in ways you can't even imagine. God wants to use you as a wonderful big vision in your life. He says, I'm going to do wonderful things to you. But, but here's one thing. Before you do, I'm going to need you to tear down that altar, and I'm going to need you to build the proper altar in this place. Before I use you, and before I implement that big plan in my life for you, and I'm going to use you to do things that you can't even imagine, that there are certain issues in your life that you're going to have to deal with and come face-to-face with. 
and those issues sometimes are hard. That God loves you so much in your life that before he uses you and helps and does great things for you, he says, hey, look, there are things in your life that are going on. There are things in your life that are happening right now. There are things in your life in your heart that you're going to have to address. And before I'm going to do anything else on you, you're going to have to address some of those issues in your life. I love what John Orberg says. He's this uh, pastor over at Menlo. He says, all of us have what we call a shadow mission, don't we? He says, just as we all have a mission, a way of contributing to God's kingdom that we were designed and gifted for, we also have what we call a shadow mission. My shadow mission is what I will do with my life if I drift on autopilot. It consists of the activities toward which I will gravitate to if I allow my natural temptations and selfishness to take over. Everybody has a shadow mission. What we see and how we appear to people is never the case of what our true heart says because there may be baggage and junk in our lives and issues in our life that we have to deal with before the Lord. And we have spent so much time covering up and hiding it from different people. And God says to all of us and challenges all of us, I need you to deal with those things right now. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says that there are four heart issues that all of us struggle with at one point or another. Those ones are guilt. We're hiding something. Jealousy. We envy someone. We also have anger. And we also have greed. Anger in the sense that Anger and greed, give me one minute. Anger, we resent someone. Greed, we think of ourselves. Guilt, we hide something. Jealousy, we envy someone. Anger, we resent someone. Or greed, we think of ourselves. Jealousy, anger, greed, anger, uh, and uh, jealousy, greed, anger, and guilt. Which one of you do you guys struggle with? What are the issues in your heart that you're dealing with right now that is encompassing your life? What are the things that nobody knows that is deep inside of you? Whether it's anger toward a parent or toward a loved one that you just can't get over with. And that, that anger continues to seep so much in your life that it destroys the very notion of your life. I have a younger sister who's uh, two years younger than I am. My sister growing up was probably the brightest one in my family. She got the perfect ACT, perfect SATs. She even uh, she jumped a class, maybe a two. She almost jumped past me because she was so bright. But for some reason, my, mom, my sister and my mom would always go at it. And she had so much anger in her. It has been now 12 years since I last saw my sister. She and my mom got into it a number of years ago, and she stopped calling home changed her address, changed her email address. My mom tried looking for her. Every time my mom found her, she hung up and changed her phone number once again. I don't know exactly what got into it. I tried calling her. She doesn't return my phone calls or anything like that. But have you ever gotten to a point where you've been so angry at someone that you're unwilling to let it go? You've got to deal with those anger. Even for me in my journey, I mentioned to you guys, a year ago in January 2017, I heard words at 41 years old that I never thought I would hear. The doctor says to me, you have cancer. 
41 years old, never thought I would have cancer, never even seen a doctor. The doctor says to me, uh, hey, do you have a regular doctor? No, I don't have. I've never seen a doctor. I just came to you because my nose kept bleeding. And my nose kept bleeding for hours, of, for, for about five days straight, for about an hour each time. And I said, oh, I better go get this checked out. Thought I had a sinus infection that lasted for about three months. In the process, the doctor says, you have cancer in your sinus. And so here we're going to have to, you have a four-centimeter tumor that's cancerous, and we're going to have to take out that tumor, and here's what's going to happen. For the next eight months, or for the next eight weeks, we're going to go through chemo and radiation. And you're going to end up losing a lot of weight. You're going to lose all your saliva. You're going to lose all your taste buds, but more so, you're going to be in pain 24 hours a day for the next eight weeks. I did not think of anything like that at all. Didn't have any clue. Sure, fine, let's go ahead with it. First week of chemo radiation, I get in. Eh, sure, it's not that hard. Went back to the office. How hard is this? Second week, lose my taste buds. By the end of the week, I've lost all my saliva, never to have my taste buds back ever again the same way it has ever been. After that, the third week comes on, the pain starts hitting around four, right in your nose, right in your throat, and all throughout your neck. And from that point on, for the next five weeks after that, the pain moves from a four to a 12, nonstop, every single day of your life. You can't eat, eventually, you can't eat solids. And so I can't swallow anything solid, so i got to drink liquids. And since you've lost your taste buds, what does everything taste like? Water. So you feel like you're drinking water for eight weeks, and the pain doesn't stop. And it's mind-numbing. And the pain is in growing intensity every single day. And I still remember around 3 o'clock every single night, I would just sit there, the whole house is asleep, my wife is asleep, my three-year-old daughter is asleep, and I'm just sitting there wide awake because the pain doesn't stop. They fed me morphine. I've taken sleeping pills. I do everything. The pain's not stopping. And you have to mentally sit there by the fifth week, sitting there, wow, I have three more weeks of this. How in the world do I deal with all this stuff? And folks, let me tell you something. I'm angry I'm bitter. I'm struggling. And you're finding everything you can to not be angry at God. Because I will tell you, if I allowed myself, I would have allowed myself and been so bitter, angry. Lord, I've never been sick before. How in the world do you, are you allowing this to happen? I can't get rid of pain, everything like that. And there are times, and the Lord during that period of time says, Tommy, you got to, during those periods of time, you got to learn to commit and trust the truths of Scripture and allow it to really guide you in everything that you do. And there are things in your heart that you're, that's going to bother you. There are things and burden and baggage that all of us have to deal with that we're going to have to come to grips with them. Whether it's jealousy, whether it's anger, whether it's greed, whatever it is, what is that baggage that you're dealing with? Before God can use you in your life, you're going to have to come face to face with it. And you're going to have to come and tackle it head on. And so for us, when we look at Gideon, Gideon calls, God calls him a mighty warrior. God has a name for you. He has a vision in your life of what you could be and you should be. 
And God knows your strength and God knows your weaknesses. And through it all, he says, I'm going to use you no matter what those weaknesses are. And you trust me because I'm going to be with you every step of the way. But before you do, before you do, there are some heart issues that you're going to have to deal with. There are some anger issues you're going to have to deal with. There are some guilt issues you're going to have to deal with. There are some jealousy or greed issues that you're going to deal with. That before I can really use you, you're going to have to deal with those things as well too. And so as I end and we wrap up, what are those heart issues that you're dealing with in your life? What are the things that you're going to have to come face to face with God in before he can use you? Are those things tough? Yes. Are those things going to be hard? Yes. Are those things going to take time where you're going to have to wrestle through and maybe sometimes with professional help? Probably. But those are things that God wants to do through you, that he has a wonderful plan in your life, and he has wonderful things for you. And he wants you to take his word from Jerusalem to Samaria to all the ends of the earth. But he's going to need you to do some business with him. And so as I look and as as we part ways, as you walk throughout the week, what are those things that you're going to have to come face to face on? And where you're going to really be able to need God to work in your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you are always working in and through us. And thank you for the journey that you led us through. And so, Father, we continue to pray and ask in the quietness of our hearts that you are speaking to us and that you are giving us the courage and the strength to fight through those issues. Lord, we love you so very much. And may you help dig deep in our hearts to deal with those issues in our lives. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.